So let's do this. Let's fast forward to the year 2070. That's roughly 50 years in the future, right? Uh, imagine, if you will, just kind of what that looks like. Now, the truth is, some of you who are watching this, you may not really care what that looks like because you don't think you're going to be here by then. Uh, but man, the scape of the world is going to be vastly different. Millennials are going to be great grandparents by then right? Uh, Gen Z, who are now our like, high schooler age uh, kids, they're going to be struggling to figure out the newest technology. And the world is going to belong to Generation Alpha. Those kids who are in early middle school and elementary school now, they are going to be the ones who are leading the world, leading the countries around the world, leading businesses in the world. In 2070, the world belongs to Generation Alpha and their kids. But here's the other thing. In 2070, only around one-third of Americans are going to identify themselves as Christians. Now, that number today is around two-thirds, that two-thirds of Americans would identify themselves as Christians. And I know that everyone who identifies as a Christian is not necessarily a Christian, but just that drastic drop, half of the people who today call themselves a Christian, that number will be half in 2070. What does that mean? That means that we are losing the next generation. Generation Z, Generation Alpha, the generation to come after them, we are losing them when it comes to their faith. Matter of fact, just recently, uh, uh, people between the ages of 13 and 25 were asked on a scale of 1 to 10 to rate their trust in the local church. The number, 4.9. You may say, well, that's not too bad. That's like almost half. Yeah, but the only group that scored lower were politicians. There was a different study that had similarly discouraging results. In 2022, uh, in this study, the local church held a 31% confidence rate among young Americans. For me, I think it's very interesting that that 31% confidence rate may be very close to that one-third who identify as Christians in 2070. So why is this? Why are we potentially losing the next generation? Well, it's because that next generation sees the local church as irrelevant, inauthentic, and unloving. Those are their words, irrelevant, inauthentic, and unloving. And it's that perception of the local church that is causing many in the next generation to walk away and leave the faith of their parents. And these aren't just young people in general. These aren't just kids in general. These are our kids who are leaving the faith. If you call yourself a Christian, it is your kids who are leaving the faith. There are various studies that show the percentage of young people who grow up in church, and yet when they go into adulthood, walk away from the church, that number across studies is somewhere between 45% upwards of 75% who walk away from the faith. Matter of fact, someone in Gen Z, we don't have the numbers for Gen Alpha yet, someone in Gen Z who grows up in a religious home is 850% more likely to deconvert, leave the faith of their parents, than somebody in Gen Z who grows up in a non-religious home is to convert and come to faith. Let that sink in. Your child is 850% more likely to leave the faith than a similar kid who grows up in a non-religious home is to find faith. 
That is astounding, uh, astounding. Uh, but maybe the statistic that got my attention more than any other is that Barna Research recently found out that despite everything we just shared, only 58% of practicing, those who go to church and uh, practice their faith, only 58% of practicing Christian parents would say they are very concerned about whether their child stays true to their faith. Listen to me, that number has to rise. Every single one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus has to be very concerned about the faith of the next generation. But here is the hard truth. Many Christian parents, grandparents, and probably many of you watching this right now, if you would get honest, are more concerned that your child continues to vote the way they were raised than you are that they actually stay active in the local church. The truth is, for many, we are more concerned about the future of our country than the future of our faith. And no, I'm not saying those are mutually exclusive, but I'm saying if we take an honest, hard look, it is clear which is our priority. Every one of us who knows Jesus and follows him must see the faith of the next generation as mission critical for the church. Passing the faith on to the next generation is a huge part of what it means for us to be a follower of Jesus. Let me share with you this quote from UK ministry leader Tim Alford. He says, young people need spiritual parents more than spiritual programs. There's a mandate on all of us, not only on youth workers, to give our attention to raising up spiritual parents with an intense commitment to passing on the gospel to the next generation rather than volunteers who help us maintain programs. Man, that hits me hard because as churches, we are good about saying we have programs for the next generation, but are we raising up parents who can pour into the next generation? It is mission critical for the church. We see that idea, that command to pass faith on to the next generation in the Old Testament, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 6, and in many places inside of the New Testament. One place in particular we find in 1 Timothy. And we're going to focus on this passage over the next three weeks where we find Paul writing a letter to his own son in the faith. So if you got your Bible, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses uh, 11 through 16 out of chapter 4. So let's read them together. Paul says, Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. So I think there's a lot for us in that paragraph that we just read, especially when it comes to passing faith on to the next generation. You see, here in this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, 
Paul is preparing Timothy to continue the ministry that Paul had entrusted to him. He had entrusted the local church there in Ephesus to Timothy, and Paul is, is saying, I'm going to prepare you now to pass that faith on. Really, in essence, what Paul is doing in these few short verses is showing uh, Timothy the key elements of what it looks like for us to pass faith on generation coming behind us. And so this week and the following two, what we're going to do is look at three pieces that Paul lays out that help us with this mission-critical task. Three elements that Paul gives us that we have to have if we want to pass faith on to the next generation. And the first piece that we're going to look at today, the first piece of this puzzle, is Paul giving Timothy a simple call, and really a call to all of us as followers of Jesus, to live out what we say we believe. I think we see that most clearly. We see it in the paragraph altogether, but we see it most clearly specifically in verse 12. What does he say again in verse 12? Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love in faith and in purity. See, what Paul was telling Timothy is, Timothy, you are to be a spiritual example of what a believer can be and should be. In fact, that word that Paul uses there, example, has a much more impactful weight behind it than we might realize at our first glance in English. The word example doesn't mean much to us in English, but it has a greater meaning uh, in the original Greek that Paul wrote this. You see, the word that Paul uses here literally means to leave an impression on something, to leave an indentation in something for the purpose of creating a pattern to replicate, right? So maybe a better way for us to understand what Paul is saying here to Timothy is Timothy set a blueprint for other believers. And then Paul goes on to lay out what that blueprint or example actually is. What are the pieces that make that up? Uh, he starts out with these two outward-facing uh, public marks of this blueprint. Uh, the first one he says is speech. That's simply what we say and how we say it. Your speech as a follower of Jesus matters. Then he goes on and says not just your speech, but your life. That is how we live, what we do, the choices we make, the actions we take, what we say and what we do matter if we identify as a follower of Jesus. But he doesn't just stop there. He then lists three inward, more character-focused marks of this blueprint. Love, faith, and purity. Love is really just how we treat others around us, right? How do we treat people? How do we treat our family? How do we treat our friends? But I think beyond that, Jesus would say, not just your family and friends, even non-believers treat them well. As a follower of Jesus, how do you treat strangers and enemies? Love. Faith, the characteristic of faith, that idea of faith is how we see God. Maybe even more specifically, not just how we see God, but how we see God and how that impacts our choices and actions in life. The idea under this word faith is the word of faithfulness. There ought to be a faithfulness to our character that is consistent with what we say we believe. Who we are should reflect what we believe. And then finally, he says purity. And yes, absolutely, that is sexual purity. 
right? I think in a day and time that we live in now and seeing how many scandals of abuse and infidelity have rocked the church today, yes, sexual purity matters. But even more than that, it's also a deeper integrity of our heart. Are we pure in heart? So Paul says that you are to, Timothy, set a blueprint for the next generation in your speech and in your life, what you say and what you do, and then in who you are through your love, through your faith, and through your purity. And then in verse 15, Paul tells Timothy to practice these things. Or again, more literally, keep on practicing these things. The idea of practicing these actions and characteristics didn't just mean like simply going through the motions. No practice of any kind is going to be helpful if all you do is go through the motions, whether in band or in baseball. That kind of practice doesn't matter. Rather, the idea here is that Timothy would be continually concerned about these things. That Timothy would always be concerned with his speech and his life, with his character and how it fleshes it out in faith, love, and purity. And why was Paul saying that Timothy needed to be concerned about these things? And here's the point. Because Paul understood that if our faith does not impact our life, if we don't live out what we believe, we will never pass that faith on to the next generation. Let me say it again. If we don't live out what we believe, we will never pass that faith on to our kids. You see, the problem that we have to address for the next generation is not just that they don't believe, but that they don't believe we really believe. And they have told us as much. It's not a secret. They are shouting it from the rooftops. Just listen to these words that I pulled from a letter, letter to an editor written by a 21-year-old girl published in her small town South Carolina newspaper. This is what she said. People try to politicize young people leaving the church by blaming Republicans or Democrats. Regardless of your belief, the truth is young Christians, both Republicans and Democrats, are leaving the church. And here are the reasons why my generation is leaving the church. They see the church as, politically, as a politically hypocritical institution that serves no purpose in improving their lives. They see the church as a divisive entity that creates havoc rather than peace. They see many who claim to be Christians behave in unchristlike ways. My peers have had enough. Witnessing the deep polarization in American society between Christians is why they are fleeing the church in droves. Remember that young people are always watching. Older Christians must wake up and make sure that they are truly embodying the characteristics of Christ. Man, that, that's hurtful. Well, she says that the reason her friends are leaving the church is because they see us as creating more chaos than bringing peace. They see us as being more divisive than being healing. They see Christians acting unchristlike. And, and this inconsistency in us causing the younger generation to leave the faith really shouldn't surprise us. That, that really has always been an issue. As a matter of fact, 10 years ago, New York pastor Tim Keller warned us. He said, young people are sensitive to any inconsistency. That is the first reason a young generation can turn from the faith of an older one. 
Now I get what some of you are probably thinking right now. You had a lot of thoughts, but you're probably thinking something like this. You know, Chip, there are always hypocrites in the church. And honestly, none of us are perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean that most of us don't really believe what we say we believe. It just means we're not perfect. Well, that actually raises up another problem. See, some of the next generation do think that we believe what we say we believe, but when they look at our lives and, and how different it is, they conclude that our faith just doesn't work. Listen to this explanation by apologist Josh McDowell. He says, for adults, for order, older people, if it's true, it'll work. For younger people, if it works, it's true. For example, a pastor falls into sexual immorality. Adults would say his problem was that he was not living the truth. Truth is objective. It's true. You believe it or not. The problem is not with truth. The problem is with you. You're not living the truth. But to many youth, they would say, well, whatever the pastor taught is not true. Why? Because it didn't work for him. Do you see the difference? To adults, the problem is the person. To youth, the problem is the truth because all truth is personal. It's your opinion, personal feelings, personal ideas. So either they're leaving because they don't believe we believe or they're leaving because they see our lives and then say, well, what they believe doesn't actually work. The point is that we've got to come to grips with the fact that despite our best and sincere desires, we are losing the next generation because for the most part, they just don't see us taking our faith seriously. Church attendance isn't a priority. We go when it fits our schedule. When we do hear a message from the scriptures, we talk about how good it was on the way home and yet never actually do anything to put it into practice we sing in church about longing to see lost people come to faith in Jesus. And then over the dinner table, we talk about how much we despise those who are different from us. We make our kids spend more time chasing some sort of ball than we do actually helping them learn who Jesus is and how they can follow him. It's no wonder they're leaving the faith behind because they don't see it as important to us. But you know, with all of that, I do think that there's at least a silver lining here. With the next generation, the bar for Christianity has become so low that we might actually have an opportunity to make an impact if we will just live out the faith that we already claim to believe. Simply, if we just love God and love people. That the bar is so low, if we just do those things, if we just care, if we just show up, if we just invest, if we just live out what we say we believe, it can get the attention of the next generation. It can get the attention of the world. But if we don't prove our love for God and others by our attitudes and our actions, we are going to lose the right to be heard by the next generation. You know, and if I'm honest... On a deeper level, I think the reason that we might struggle with this lack of consistency in our faith and in our life is because the next generation really is right, that they see it more clearly than we do. We don't believe what we say we believe. I mean, the truth is that many 
who claim to follow Jesus have never actually met him. Just listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded the house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house, and it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're watching this right now and you're understanding, you're realizing the light bulb's going off. For the first time you get it, the reason you can't live out this faith is you've never really had it. The reason you're having a hard time following Jesus is because you've never really known him. And in this moment, you need to cry out to him in repentance and faith and ask him to save you and be the Lord of your life. Listen to me. If you want your house, your home to stand the storms of life, you need to make sure that it is actually built on rock, not sand. The rock of Jesus, not the sand of some southern fried religion that far too often goes under the disguise of Christianity. And if you need to trust Jesus today, then we're ready to talk to you. There's somebody right now, if you would just uh, go and click the live prayer button on the webpage. If you're on Facebook, comment, send us a DM. We have people who want to walk you through that. We have location pastors who will meet with you this week to help you know for sure that you really do know Jesus because this is essential. Not just for your faith, but for the faith of your kids, for the faith of the next generation. If we want to pass our faith on to the next generation, we have got to make sure that that faith is real. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this time that you've given us. God, I pray that we'd be convicted and challenged of where we don't live out what we believe. God, would you create in us, by your Spirit and your Word, a deeper consistency of character, action, and speech so that we might better pass our faith on to our kids 
who are watching us so closely. And God, for those who have realized for the first time they've never truly known you as Savior, they've just been going through the motions, they've been checking the boxes, God, I pray that today you would raise them to new life in Christ, that they would cry out in repentance and faith and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.